Hello, we are Requires Improvement, a podcast by teachers aiming to critically discuss all aspects of the current UK education system from an unashamedly left-wing perspective. What's going well and what really requires improvement? I'm your co-host Tom and we joined in person today for the first time in over a year by our co-hosts Nick. Hello. Lauren. Hi. Charlie. Hello. And Lee. Hello. Hello everyone, good to see you all again. Okay, our first requires improvement today is, well I've got it written down here as Palestine. Palestine requires improvement, Um, I suppose that's quite a big topic. Um, So I guess our first requires improvement is, I don't quite know how to describe it, would it be some senior leaders or head teachers in schools pretending they are not racist or they're being anti-racist to excuse them being racist, if that makes sense. Is that a reasonable summary of it? So um, I think where this comes from, um, well, we can start from the very beginning uh, in 1917, um, in a little bit, maybe. But it comes from, I think it was uh, a school in Leeds, uh, where the head teacher um, was recorded saying that the Palestinian flag was a call to arms and a symbol of anti-Semitism. So that's kind of the basis for our first requires improvement today. So obviously we're recording in the beginning of June. So last month from the 10th to the 21st of May, we saw um, a massive, huge bombardment of the Gaza Strip by um, the Israeli army. Um, in response to that, quite understandably and justifiably, there were large-scale protests all across Britain and all across the world in solidarity with the Palestinian people. And something that was incredibly heartening uh, for from our perspective uh, was huge um, demonstrations and support and solidarity from young people in Britain, particularly in schools. So we saw in schools up and down the country, uh, we saw students, um, young people walking out of class, bringing in flags, wearing badges, lanyards, face masks with the Palestinian flag on it, putting up posters, uh, talking to one another about about the issues in, in Palestine. And the response to that from a lot of SLT um, that we've seen kind of news reports about was quite worrying. Um, we saw lots of arguments that if you are demonstrating support for Palestinians, you are somehow yourself racist, you're an anti-Semite. Um, and a lot of children being challenged on that, their posters being pulled down, being told they have to cover up their, their masks, they have to put their badges away, they cannot show any sort of public support or solidarity for Palestinians. Uh, so our requires improvement, um, our first requires improvement is SLT who think it's appropriate or right or they're somehow doing anyone a favour by challenging young people for standing up for what they think is right in Palestine. I'll open up to everyone else what our thoughts on this. just seems like a lack of education and knowledge and nuance among SLT members that they... It's really interesting, like even harking back to our previous episode where it's a case of... Um, Jeremy so really rightly said that um, people that, you know, maybe that the sort of middle class have gone to uni, they've got a degree and they think they've got nothing left to learn. This seems like a classic embodiment of that. Like, they just think they know better. And, and also it's just conflating, like, anti-Zionism and, and you can be against the policies of the Israeli government but not to be anti-Jewish. Like, that is that is a line that you... That, that is a place that everyone can be. And I think most people that support Palestine are in that particular arena. So it's... For me, it just smacks of ignorance on the part of SLT. They certainly need some education. Um, and also, a flag being a symbol of 
uh, anti-Semitism is quite interesting because then where does that end? Well, yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, where does that end? So, so you know, okay, fine. Like, it's not like are we, are we equating that with flying the Confederate flag? Are we, you know, are we? Why are we not saying that Union Jack is also a symbol of massive oppression across, you know, most of the globe? Like, where if that's the argument that they're going to put forward for that, that's quite a slippery slope because that argument, you know, unfortunately, is not going to necessarily go the way that they want it. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, personally, I think a massive, massive need for education on what is going on would be required. And I think, yeah, if you were a child in a school in Britain from the Palestinian diaspora and you're being told that the flag for like your your nation, your your struggle is, is oh, somehow really just hateful. inherently yeah. an evil thing, it's, <laughs> it's, it's unfathomable to, to, to put that out there and to say that. I think, yeah, it's interesting talking about kind of uh, the Jeremy Gilbert episode because um, after that, um, he did that great episode for ACFM on the long 90s. And I think a lot of SLT kind of, they have that kind of totally empty politics that is kind of embodied in the long 90s. And I think they in the 90s, it was, oh, the Arab-Israeli conflict. It's just such like, a huge conflict. And the word scene. conflict as yeah. well is so trivialising in terms of is taking over somebody's home and literally pushing people out of their their land mm. sorry yeah but. yeah and I think that challenge of like oh these these kids who are protesting walking out of class putting up their their posters wearing their badges just can't understand something so hom- uh, so hopelessly complex and difficult to grasp it's like I don't know it's pretty straightforward if you're a child <laughs> you, you can see these images on the news or on social yeah. media you can see a bombed out apartment block in Gaza it's pretty straightforward to understand yeah. you can see people weeping for their dead family members what's what's the complexity behind that situation yeah yeah we expect them to understand the complexity of you know like war poetry and things like that so why is it that that's okay that's you know they're complex emotional nuanced things that they're gonna have to study at gcse yet this is apparently beyond them i mean there's two things going on one is they're clearly incredibly stupid (laughs) uh and and it's the kind of generation where they might read newspapers or they might have just given up on reading newspapers but I suspect like most people in school I would say the, they get most of their news from BBC News I'd say that's probably mm. the most popular thing and, they, and they, they feel relatively well informed because of that maybe even just Radio 4 in the morning as well yeah yeah but yeah that that yeah and they think bit of that bit of that whatever they're fine um, they know what's going on um, you know they know enough to if it came to patronise a child about like, oh you don't even know who Tony Blair is that kind of thing um so there is that like lack of lack of education. That's not just SLT. Like I remember the, the Christmas party that I was at with my school in 2019 after the election defeat, and a couple of people, young teachers, like came up to me, um, who I don't normally speak to, and they were like, "Sorry about the election, mate," because um, they knew I'd been doing stuff trying to mobilise people for it. And they're like, "Yeah, it's just just a shame about all the anti-Semitism, wasn't it?" Oh, it's like God. if you. You know, a, a post-grad educated um, adult who's fairly young, so, you know, hasn't had their brain rotted by the Daily Mail for years, it, you know, thinks that Labour lost an election because of the anti-Semitism that, you know, wasn't there in the way that the media said it was. Um, it's really worrying. But So that is true about SLT, but I also think they are cowards. I think they are cowards as well. And they have absolutely no interest in challenging difficult topics mm. and again part of that is because um they don't want to cause crisis like the jobs are already quite high stress um they're not they don't they think it's just about having a steady ship where kids can get good exam grades that's the kind of enough of education for them um 
but also you know a lot of teachers are actually quite scared to to engage in difficult topics you know schools put again that's another reason why schools don't put in lessons about palestine um, or anti-racism or about homophobia like in their pshe curriculum because the kind of training no one offers the training to do it well and so people are quite scared of saying something that might upset someone in case they get in trouble now i'm i'm pretty honest with the kids about most stuff like most of them would have me earmarked as a communist yeah (laughs) at least like very lefty like pacifist in in certain circumstances about about loads of things but i've never had a complaint from from parents yet touch wood (laughs) um and and i've got very much like kind of bring it on that attitude to an extent but like slt do not do not want that um but they should be able to do that like schools have the resources and you're just going to have you're just by not confronting these things and dealing with you're just going to you're storing up issues you're making the students who feel personally affected by these issues crazy you're making i mean you're literally making them feel unlistened to unanswered that that you're actually denying them a developmental opportunity to come to terms with the world as it is yeah you know i've had to offer you know personal uh well pastoral care to students who just are struggling to understand the world as it is based on aspects of their identity you know um (laughs) what we're dealing with here is a failure of journalism it's a failure Hmm. of politics and it's a and i'm afraid education is is just as complicit and wrapped up in this um because if we're going to deal with these issues honestly it involves confronting a lot of very unpleasant things about ourselves and the way our country is run so no surprise perhaps that there is a wish that it would all go away but they don't want to confront that because we're currently in the middle of a, you know, to put it in inverted commas, culture war, um, a war on woke. And, you know, this this is part of that, isn't it? Like, they, at the end of the day, I, I do think that obviously the government, you know, DfE, are very much almost a bit scared and a bit blindsided, I think, by what is going on. I know of three schools in Bristol that kids have protested about various things, Palestine being one of them. Um, who've kind of got emboldened to do that. And I just think that they're flapping because they're going, well, hang on, we, we don't want these kids being, in inverted commas, woke. That's not that's not what they want. You know, they're, they're ploughing all their money and resources into a Makeda school-style education where the kids just are compliant and compliance is the answer. And And this is why I'm really proud of all those kids because fair play to you, absolutely fair play to you, and I'll say this to all of you, like, well fucking done. You know, if one of the cornerstones of our democracy is the right to protest at the moment, um, then, yeah, fucking go for it. Yeah. Like, if only yeah. there were uh, legal and legislative means by which, by which we can stop this happening. <laughs> being severely curtailed with draconian legislation. I hope that's not happening. Yep. But let's this see. might be part of the problem. I'd like to see kids maybe, like, build a statue themselves. But, like, that would be the next level. They, if the protest stuff gets properly, like difficult because I don't know maybe SLT say all the classroom doors have got to be locked uh, so they can't actually escape at break time that'll be their solution to all these protests then the kids like okay fine we'll build a statue of Cecil Rhodes out of like pipe cleaners and bog roll and stuff whatever and then they tear it down and then take that to the courts and see if that that becomes a kind of issue they're not going to get a 10 year sentence for that are they I don't know. I mean, what, what point is a statue a statue, you know? Mm, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there are actually, like, loads of forms of protests. I mean, I've, I've never been in a secondary school to sort of bear witness to those protests um, in my teaching career. 
But you could still protest within your class with enough people, like, put things over your mouth, like a silent protest, like, you know, in a similar way, you literally use masks nowadays, but, like, you know, uh, loads of the people in the protest have been like, I can't breathe, um, during the BLM protest, both in 2014 and I think, um, you know, in the uh, 2020, I'm losing yeah, time, it is it 2020, mm. yeah, one year ago. Um, I don't, I, you know, I actually think that, if you if the children still wanted to, it'd be really hard to limit them completely as long as they were creative enough to um, think outside the box with how they've how they've been curtailed and and move on. Actually, it could get bigger and bigger. It's like a microcosm of society, isn't it? It's like kids don't realise how much power they have. If, mm. Like there's just not that there's not enough adults in a school. To stop yeah, them from absolutely. Doing they want. As I found out there very recently. Isn't. Yeah, there just isn't. <laughs> and actually, if they sort of got together and were organised, they could do stuff. I mean, you can say exactly the same about society. There's way more of us than there is of the bastards that we want to get rid of. And uh, but again, you know, the, the same thing happens with the kids. You hear like when the climate strikes were happening and the kids were having those discussions. And then they say, oh, well, it's not really going to achieve anything, is it? It's like, oh, well, we'll get in trouble. I really need to do well in my GCSEs. And it's just the same when you talk to a member about going on strike or taking action, which is quite interesting. But it's, it's whether or not enough kind of like actual practical examples of it happen that kids then then learn from that. Um, it's also yeah. having the political education to know when it stops. Yeah. Like some people do kind of think, of, I mean, it's hard to sort of tell, but some people feel maybe with... Greta Thunberg, that she went from you know sitting there on her own to going with big crowds. That that's kind of, and now she's spoken to like loads of world leaders. That now that's kind of all oh, they've heard her now, and then everyone knows. And I think some people might think that's done with, but it isn't. So it's like the same sort of thing with the you know smaller scale with children within a school. Like what are their aims? What they're trying to achieve? And how they identify whether they have or have not done that, and how they know how to keep going, changing what they're doing, and, and moving forward. Mm. And where they can get information from, because I know that I want to help them. I want to be sat there going, to them, right, you should try this. This is what you need to do, okay? You need to tell everyone this, put it out in this way. But it's like, I can't do that, because, you know, if, if that got out, I'd be fucked. So now I'm in a moral quagmire because I'm like well actually I think they're right and I want to help this and my morals tell me I should support this you should just uh, start also... a little zine like in that film Moxie and leave it in the <laughs> yeah leave start, it. start a little zine with like uh, yeah problems Jay... if I do that now it's a bit late because it's cat out of the bag isn't it the Jay, Mac- <laughs> so... the Jay McAlevey like principles for rookie organisers but like <laughs> make it into like child friendly language maybe put a glossary on the side yeah always around the place. basic maths for you view one of them exactly yeah, so we can only chase one of you at a time you have to separate and run in all directions that's your We're number struggle. one yeah We're we can't get you there you can't do it in one classroom you have to spread the yeah, revolution exactly. you've got to keep going mate and into every school the cheese principle <laughs> mate it's you know it's great I, I, th- I think a bit like branching you know you just got to branch keep branching just keep you know, off, off shooting. But I think that's the thing that has kind of caught a lot of a lot of school leadership out is that it has been, as far as I can tell, my limited technological understanding really well organised <laughs> by children through <laughs> through social media. But yeah, I think what we are now seeing is what the reaction is going to look like. So I think with Black Lives Matter, I think that a year ago that was such a huge event. Schools, whether they wanted to or not, had to kind of at the very least pay lip service to it I think especially in Bristol yeah and I think your cowardly SLT could at least grasp the concept of anti-black racism and remember a really hackneyed assembly I did on Nelson Mandela 20 years ago or whatever (laughs) um 
But I think, yeah, I think with this new issue of, of Palestine and Palestinian lives, it's something they don't quite grasp or understand, or they just remember something about the Oslo Accords and the Arab-Israeli conflict being really complicated. Um, I think they're now being challenged by by young people on something they don't quite understand. And I think it is a huge challenge to their power and authority. So I think it's kind of two things uh, going on at once. It is the actual issue that is the centre and focus of protest. And it is, it's a massive fuck you to, yeah. to schools. And I think a lot of children, these these emotions many, many students are feeling, it's kind of, it is wrapped up in the trauma of the last year with COVID and lockdown and kind of the trauma of kind of going back into school where the focus very much is not on on helping them work through their trauma and giving them that kind of psychological support that they need that Lee you were talking about it is about right back to business as usual how are we going to close this and in some gap? cases how are we get yeah to, into the exam routine and then there's some children who are just they're not ready to be forced back into that and there are plenty of others who who understood full well even before Covid that it wasn't a particularly good healthy or sustainable model and certainly after Covid or after the year we've had aren't aren't going to go back to back to business as usual. I think that's part of the reasons that because so the protests that happened in the particular school I work in weren't actually about um, Palestine but were about uniform rules uh, and started by a group of girls who were quite upset that you know, they're not allowed to wear leggings because they're too tight and, you know, all of the associations of that. And I was quite surprised that that happened in my school. I didn't think that, if I'm honest, that there would be a critical enough of a critical mass that would be that organised and on it. But also, I again, as you say, I realised they've come back to school and it's not even been business as usual. It's been so much worse. Like, you know, even just without being there in classrooms, the relentless drive to raise achievement in a pod- in a pandemic by SLT has created a really oppressive atmosphere for everyone who is entering that building and their focus is so much on discipline and how it looks rather than how it is and how the kids are that of course they're kicking back and do you know I mean we, you know a few weeks but well, not even a few weeks a couple of weeks before that we had three fire alarms set off in one day like one day we were out on the on is that the all thing. We, had, we, we had that we had a whole time of uh, of that kind of fun oh mate i mean it's all been fun in pure, it's been... in pure disintegration now yeah right. well this is it this is this is i mean you can just tell the kids are just like fuck you yeah, yeah. we've had enough and we're gonna do and and you know children that you know in inverted commas are seen as good kids like kids that you know wouldn't actually you wouldn't necessarily suspect but they, they just had enough and it's really interesting how if you if you keep oppressing children, which is what in many places is happening, and, and again, trying to use COVID as an excuse to, like, get ahead, like, oh, all the other schools aren't probably putting on this extra stuff and getting on these hammerings, you know, raising standards, it's like, well, f- no. Like, you've just created this toxic environment. Kids are miserable, we're miserable. They know that most of their teachers and support staff are just pissed off. They know it, even without us. We don't need to say it. Kids are actually generally quite intuitive. Like, they know full well when a member of SLT walks in my room, they're like, oh, okay, so they're here to look at Miss. So we're just going to get, you know, we're going to be good kids for Miss, and then as soon as they've left, we're going to slag them off. Fine, whatever. And I have to pretend to not get involved with the slagging off, even though raising an eyebrow where they know full well that I feel the same as they do. Um, Might be worth talking about, (laughs) like, what should teachers do Mm. to do more? Like, how how do you weasel in more Um, more stuff about... Palestine and also, and also, yeah, but I mean, like, but in the classroom, we talk about using leak time and stuff, like, what examples of people got where they've put in um, stuff about this, because we're the educators, really. So, yeah, yeah, Um, the other thing I would also say, it might be worth talking about, I don't know if anyone's got any ideas, is also 
um, protecting those uh, those students who are Jewish who are being blamed for this kind of stuff because there are yeah. kids who are victims of anti-Semitism in yeah. school constantly. Um, and at my school, like, I haven't really heard any kind of pro-Palestine stuff. It's not particularly diverse school or an area but there was a big thing on on social media where one student had kind of said hitler didn't go far enough and so that is a real oh. worry mm-hmm. that 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 yeah. that kids are i guess i guess that is the flip side i don't think slt are correct when they when they label all of this as anti-semitic but i do worry that again if it's ignored and not really dealt with properly um that will that will happen you know if kids, yeah so um there is uh, that, uh, that the sadly departed uh, American leftist by the name of Michael Brooks, and he's got a very good short clip where he talks about uh, demystifying the Israel-Palestine conflict. And I think it's pedagogically, pedagogically sound because you can talk about both sides of the conflict through the lens of power. Who mm-hmm. has the power, you know, and, and how does this affect ordinary people on the ground? Um, so for me, you know, the way that the BBC supposedly uh, peddles impartiality mystifies your understanding. Mm-hmm. You will not come away from the BBC Six O'Clock News with any understanding no. about this whole, you know, even just the words they pick, like conflict, clashes, uh, the sort of, um, what's that mode of grammar they love? Uh, the, the the passive, passive. yeah, yeah, yeah the passive sort of voice. Things yeah. happened. Yeah. yeah. Of yeah. strikes were yeah. employers. Yeah. Yeah. Thirty people died today somehow. Yeah. 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 Um, but mm. for, for, you know, it, 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 you can reach children by talking about the lives of children, like both in the West Bank and in Tel Aviv. And if you just did an even-handed comparison of what is the daily life of a typical kid, school kid, secondary school, whatever, yeah, that those kids live under some risk yeah you know, maybe a rocket might fall on their school but let's do the maths on that shall we about the probability and uh, oh let's look at the daily life of a kid in Gaza and uh, what about what are the what are the more statistical certainties of that child's existence mm-hmm. and you know I, I think there are ways of doing this that you could justify to Ofsted your head teacher I'm being even handed I'm teaching the totality, totality of the situation, but I'm doing so through the lens of power, who's had it and who hasn't had it, going all the way back to 19-fucking-17, yeah. yeah. So, it, but it's difficult, and I know why educators and, and senior leadership back away from it. Um, Israel-Palestine used to be a coursework option on the GCSE. We don't do coursework no more. And I'm just saying there's probably... I mean, maybe there are... That'll be the Israel lobby shutting that down, Lee, I reckon. Uh, no comment. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's also people like Michael Rosen who might be a good person to lead on if you're looking to kind of um, put into perspective um, the fact that there are so many Jewish people out there across the world who are also, you know, in support of the Palestinian people and that, you know, to suggest that, you know, to be pro-Palestine is essentially anti-Semitic and that also that all Jewish people uh, who support Palestine are also like self-hating or possibly even anti-Semitic is kind of hateful in itself, like just to kind of something to put forward. Um, because Michael Rosen and many of the um, you know, Jewish people who are pro-Palestine experience so much hate online and in, even in real life, I think he's been shouted at. And he's like, what? That that's not that's not, you know. So it's it gets ignored. It it doesn't make it, you know, okay. Just because 
yeah, you, you can sort of shout self-hating. That's, that's appalling. And um, not that could be the only thing, but just to sort of weave that into me out. Other things you'd be doing. Um, Mark Rosen's a beloved author, so children may already know him, so that'll give them a little bit of an extra kind of like um, starting point on understanding uh, him and his views. Um, just as an example, but obviously there's, you know, a plethora of... of um, well-known Jewish activists who who stand there and, and but also experience so much hate to the point where you you've got to respect them for doing it because it is not a fucking easy task. It's hard enough to you know be pro-Palestine on Twitter as you know a non-Jewish person being Jewish just makes it as far as I can see just you know sometimes you know atrocious and I. I yeah, I do. Yeah, I do yeah. feel so sorry for those. I know exactly the kind of people we're talking yeah. about, like Alexi Sale as well, yes. and then like other yeah. kind of uh, newer, younger kind of writers and journalists um, who who were just brilliant and so eloquent and talk about it. And I just feel so sorry for them having to be. The, uh, they must just feel like a complete punch bag about it, mm. and just being ostracised from their from their communities and things, and that'd be horrible. And again, you know, what 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 are there are there more of those kids being made at the moment? Are there more people like that or? Again, yeah, I, do, I just worry for all, all, all the kids and all this. I think for me, I teach RE, so I have been te- I have been putting in a lesson about um, Israel um, at the end of a unit on Judaism. It's kind of like to try to situate it historically at the end of the Holocaust. But then I, you know, just always feel bad about doing everything wrong as well as a teacher, and I kind of think maybe that makes it too religious if you see what I mean mm. but I think it, it, I mean but again again when people talk about they don't talk about the religion I think it's very it is still important to we're not going to get into this whole thing but I think you do need to kind of understand the, the trauma that Israel was based in don't you I think that's, yeah. that's, that's mm. quite key but I think even just talking about just trying to talk about it at all I think that's helpful. the big thing just talking about it with some understanding with empathy I think and and with confidence, I think a lot of this kind of mystification around it, like if you just hear a two-minute snippet from the BBC, you can be a bit confused and, and be uncertain of yourself or think that you're you're seeing something with your own eyes on media on, on the media and then being told something else. Um, yes, I think the worst thing that could happen is if students feel silenced, like they just don't want to engage in this topic because they're going to get in trouble, their, their futures, their, their ability to sit their exams and do well in their exams is going to be threatened through school disciplinary procedures. They're going to be shoveled off to the prevent pipeline, in particular if they are um, a student from a Muslim background. And I think, yeah, if staff as well, if there is that fear of staff being being silenced. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a history teacher, same as Lisa. I was recently teaching the Holocaust and we did the lesson kind of the... Um, the consequences of what happened next as a result of the Holocaust. So we look at kind of the total destruction of um, Eastern European Jewry, um, the destruction of the shtetls in Poland and Ukraine, the complete decimation of a, a wonderful, beautiful culture that had existed in Eastern Europe for centuries. We also looked at kind of survivors' guilt and the trauma that was felt um, by the people who whose entire families were wiped out. And we also looked at um, the origin and um, establishment of Israel. But I just thought it... it, it felt appropriate to me but make the point that Israel was based on the the removal of 700,000 Palestinian Arabs who who turned this event the knack with a catastrophe and I, mm. I, I didn't labour the point but I just thought it was worth you just put facts out there in as even handed yeah. the way as possible and I think yeah my big fear is if you're going to get letters from Gavin Williamson which says talks about incidents of anti-Semitism which no doubt Nick as you said did happen the fear is from just reading the letter that the DfE produced off the back of these protests from students is that 
you could very easily conflate any demonstration, any sign of Palestinian solidarity, any Palestinian imagery, the Palestinian flag as inherently anti-Semitic. That I think is the the confused, deliberately mystified message that is being pumped out by the DFE. And I think, yeah, I think at the moment it is just the best a lot of people can hope to do is to just not be silent on the matter and to just kind of keep keep talking about it and keep keep listening to one another and, and doing it as sensitively as possible and with empathy. Equally, though, I'd say, um, if this is the first time you're maybe bringing up social justice with your class, it may be more difficult. Like, mm. and so hopefully as like just a, like a groundwork, maybe if like you haven't done it ever before, Maybe start somewhere else and then lead there. Like just you know, it, it could actually be <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. end up going more yeah. wrong if you if you really have never done it, but you're suddenly mm. thinking that it's it's important. Um, so maybe yeah, start somewhere else. Like yes, it's it's not as complicated as some people make it out, but it's not saying it's not complicated. Um, and some like groundwork of just generally you know how how social justice works, how how international conflicts work um generally speaking uh and also you know britain's role in many of those things um does feed into and give a better understanding if if yeah if you haven't gone there before with your students but equally yeah any effort made i think is is better than nothing yeah, nice fantastic one. okay That's our good. second requires improvement is lauren with proposals to lengthen the school day it's lauren's idea <laughs> yeah, sure. It's going to be great. <laughs> it sounds like Tell something that would do. Well, I mean, think of all the extra education the kids would get if they have <laughs> half an hour a day. Um, can you imagine it, right? So you're there. It's 3 till 3.30 on an afternoon. Think how much good shit is going to happen in those got that golden time between 3 and 3.30 with Not a time. bunch of kids. Oh, absolutely. I mean... God, I can't think of a better idea. I can't think of anything that's going to change the fortunes of our disadvantaged kids more than that extra half an hour. Um, but anyway, so getting back to the real fucking world. Um, it's the, the fact is, it's, again, throwing money at the wrong places. It's just misguided people that haven't got a clue about kids, a clue about what actually happens in classrooms, and even a clue, you know, what what it takes to you know, retain children's attention between 2.45 and 3 o'clock on any given day, especially a Friday. Um, it, it, just, it just feels like one of those half-baked ideas that's just appealing to, you know, the disciplinarian sect of teaching, you know, I, I keep, I've got to say that other school, but, you know, Makeda School just seems to keep coming up time and time again. Um, it, and ultimately it's misguided. It's not going to make a difference. I don't think a lengthening school day is going to make a difference to how much the children learn in that day. Because, okay, half an hour a day, well, which, which subject then? Um, okay, so maybe we say half an hour of five subjects over a week. Really? Half an hour by the time you've started the lesson got them into the task done a bit of explanation whatever oh turns out you've actually had 15 minutes it is just again um being told what to do by people who have never done your job have no fucking clue what your job is and yeah uh, uh, you know pie in the sky thinking that money should not be spent on more time that money in my opinion should be spent on the things that have been cut savagely certainly in the last 10 years we need counsellors in school to deal with the burgeoning mental health crisis that's happening amongst our students. We need support staff. I want some TAs. We need behaviour managers. We need people, thrive counsellors. We need people who can actually 
be able to reach out and be a bridge between students and their families, certainly the hardest hit hit students and their families and actually get them back involved in school. We need some care. This is not care. This is just how can we basically make teachers look like they've not done enough? Because I feel like that's part of it. Um, And, you know, that takes me to the second part of the proposal, which is um, some of that money is alleged to be spent on uh, teacher training. Well, no, I don't need training, thank you very much. Like, training is not the thing that's going to get me through this. And you didn't offer me any training when I had to deal with learning how to use Teams or, you know, making sure that I was able to work from home. I had all the things that I needed, that our kids had all the things they needed, you know, for example, a laptop. So the idea that teachers need training to get through this and to get their kids where they need to be is, quite frankly, insulting and wrong. Um, it, it just feels a very, th- a, a very thinly veiled attack on teachers and our professionalism and everything that we have achieved and done. Again, the culture wars. I mean, you wait until your supermarket workers who want universal credit are now instantly brown- branded as scroungers again, you know, even though they were heroes, you know, a month ago. You, you just wait. Like, you can see that. That's the new headlines. But that's kind of what I feel like is happening with teachers right now. It's like, how do we reverse the narrative of them being good and heroes? Oh, wait, they weren't good enough. Let's give them training. And then also just a fundamental lack of understanding about what is actually needed to make our kids sort of help them recover a bit emotionally. Well, I think it's worth mentioning, this is a leaked uh, report, isn't it? So I think for, for me, just everything that's always say, you just have to think... Do that. Well, it's like because they do this with COVID policy. It's like you kite fly, so you just you leak something or you propose something. You see how the public react, and then you go back from that. Like it's weird looking at the the money. It's like it's obviously not enough to make any difference, but still way more than they would normally spend on stuff. Rishi Sunak will not want this money to be spent. You can see how they would try and justify it to staff and parents, is because they have actually said it's not. They're saying it is for fluffy stuff. They're trying to they're trying to soften it by saying, "Oh, well, it's to have more clubs and art and that kind of stuff." Okay, you can have extra well, teachers to do it. Brilliant. But, get get our arts back then in schools, please. Well, I think, but Thank the key, you. But that's the thing, isn't it? It's like if you're saying the, it, do it. The school day already is longer. Like disadvantaged kids can come in for breakfast clubs, yeah. or they stay behind for extra um, sport, or they stay behind for extra art stuff. They stay, stay behind for extra revision sessions. Like a lot of schools now, I mean, I've heard um, anecdotal evidence, but. Um, I've heard this example from a few schools, including mine, have, because of, the co- because of the changes to the school day made from COVID regulations, they've shortened their lunch break, um, mm. which just puts more pressure on stuff uh, at the end of the day. Um, so the school day is already going to be really long. I, don't, I mean, yeah. this, this just, it just won't work. And to be able to do any of this stuff, even if they did have the money, they would have to find a lot more teachers and they just, no one wants to do it. Only really cool people with stamina like you know racehorses like us can do it Mm -hmm. um so um i've got some advice to the conservatives uh on this and um you know i hate keir starmer so much then yeah fine they can have this advice for for free (laughs) um rather than trying to make kids and parents resent school more for making them spend more time apart um you would actually be better spent spending all that money if you can get it out of stingy Ricky uh, by doing like proper pork barrel politics. That's kind of what I expect they would do. So in those kind of seats that are new, new, um, new conservative seats, uh, just rebuild the shabbiest looking schools um, and just target money um, 
in that in that way that they do in America, I think that would just make a lot more sense. And, and again, when 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 management have staff who are kind of saying, oh, we don't have stuff, the, the management just go, we're going to shine a new building. We're going to get a new building. We're going to get a new building. That's kind of what's happening with us. Everything's going to be terrible. Yeah, but we'll have a new building. So yeah, but it's. Yeah, but it's still the same old shape. Yeah, but it's in a beautiful new building. Yeah, but it's not. It's not beautiful. It's a really ugly prison uh, building. Okay. Yeah. And then just to bring this back to what um, Jeremy Gilbert was talking about in our previous episodes, um, it's just not discussed enough how uh, the average per pupil spending in this country is below the other 23 countries of Europe. Um, oftentimes in these international league tables, they include the private school spending in this country what? in the figure for state school to make us seem like we're normal. What bunch but, but, of bastards? I mean, we've been banging on ever since the Tories came into power, fair funding for all schools, but the kids are getting a raw deal. Yeah. They are not resourced. In, in, in a way that would be commensurate with one of the richest countries in the <laughs> fucking world. But, um, so I just thought that point needed ramming home. Oh, I absolutely. mean, I've seen the film Raw Deal. Uh, it's probably my favourite Arnie film. And in that, the final scene, I don't want to spoil it, but he basically takes a, um, a couple of like holdalls full of guns and a, um, you know, like a kind of, what was it called? A convertible like Cadillac and drives around a building site shooting people. And, you know... I'd be fine with the kids doing that eventually. It's an option. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we all know it's going in the direction of Mad Max and we're going to need skilled motorcyclists to do do laps around the remaining petroleum. (laughs) You know how I feel about Mad Max. (laughs) Don't bring that up. (laughs) Endless travel. What what is your problem with strong female protagonists, Charlie? I just wish they'd stay still for a while. (laughs) Then they wouldn't be mad. Then it would just be Max. Maybe that that's a fundamental issue with the plot, though. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, we're going to... There's a side note about my anyway, anyway, Max in the Anyone else on a longer, longer day? Like, it's just... So, anyone else think it's not going to happen? It's just the stick to hit us with? Or what? Well, I, look... Uh, I was going to say, I worry that, even just by saying it, that some schools will just do it without even being told to. Uh, even if they like they reel it back in, this the idea is some head teachers' minds they'll just go, Oh, maybe my school doesn't have a particularly strong union presence and I could do this and they'd never like be able to say shit because there already is a variation in when um schools start and finish and you could just about squeeze things and just about call one thing something that it's not. Like mess around. Like, it wouldn't fit it. under one two six five though. Would it? No, it's another like, two and a half. Plenty year. of schools that go for that. Primary schools. I'm thinking of like you know from my own experience. Um, it would also be a lot easier based on what you know Lauren was saying about like well what subjects was like in primary school. You, that's that's one thing you wouldn't have to stress about because it's just like still the same old teacher. Um, you could squeeze it in two different ways, like two little 15-minute slots, one place and another, take 15 minutes away from the lunch and add 15 minutes to the day. Uh, a, literally, uh, like a school without a strong union presence, um, you know, that could, that could go in by the back door. In Slowly but surely, you also could do them at different times. Um, first one, then the other. And then, and then various things like tell the staff that maybe that they're... Um, I don't know, get, get fewer staff meetings over a course of blah, 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 but then they actually don't, or that they'll get some release time that they don't get, and, like, things like that. Like, just find a way to do it 
or at least for a short-term basis that ends up becoming a long-term basis, I already feel like I'll but have half no, hour lunches. But there's no point in doing it unless you're going to show off about it. So, I mean, so, like, sneaking it in doesn't have any benefit. It doesn't have any benefit anyway. If, I'd say if you truly believe that it makes a uh, difference to the children's, uh, like, academic outcome... Results. ...then the results of the thing and actually boasting about it is the one thing you don't want to do. Uh... I don't know, I just feel like... I mean, yeah, interesting you say about already the time's eroded. Like, I have a 10-minute shorter lunch at the minute. So half an hour, which basically means about 10 minutes that I can shove some shit in my face and hope for the best. Um, But, and then they've just brought in this thing where our day officially starts at not at 8.50, but now we need to be at 8.40 on our doors to our tutor rooms you know, to, to be there to greet them 10 minutes before to make sure the they're all in tune. What is that? Yeah, the, yeah. So that's the official... time start? This is it. Again, I've been waiting and as a, you know, we've been doing a lot of work in the union in my uh, school at the moment and one of the things that we've asked for our management has been a breakdown of our director time that we have not seen. Um, funny enough, there's still, it's still nowhere to be seen. It's interesting. So I mean, um, that's, that's what we've They asked, think yeah. that it's going to go away because we're not demanding it. Um, no, we're just going to keep demanding it. But yeah, we're still yet to see a calculation of our director's time. So and I suspect it's because they've fucking forgotten that one exists and <laughs> therefore are frantically scrabbling around trying to rectify their mistakes. I mean, that is the union campaign at the moment. I do think it's quite a useful thing because it's, it, yeah. it's quite good to go on strike over. Because again, if you've got parents, if you've got, sorry, if you've got teachers who. Um, you know, they're not like died in the wall union members that they wouldn't call themselves socialists. They, but they yeah. are part of a union because they don't want to get screwed over at work. And if you go, here's a number, 1265, here's our number that's way higher, um, that's actually quite easy to get people on board. And yeah. even with parents, when you say to parents, here's the employment law, we all know employment doesn't really exist, but <laughs> here's the law, this school's breaking it, will you support us in challenging it? They go, yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, just keep banging. And basically, you don't. Uh, come September, even if they hold out and don't give it to you in September, they'll give you your timetable for the year, and you can calculate your own directed time. And then you've got a whole year to build up to a strike ballot. <laughs> so, so it's win-win, yeah. really. And look, yeah. One concern I have currently is that um, following the pandemic and the rather uh, well, the acceleration of technological solutions to things like parents evening and remote mm. teaching like teachers used to benefit from something called a trapped time whereby if you had to stay at school because there's a parents evening that hour and a half maybe two hours before the parents show up um counted as working hours but i worry there's going to be a kind of drift towards you know well if you can do it from home why should we count this as working hours you know if i i what those that that do you mean uh, just to clarify, you're not talking about the actual time you're online for parents' evening, but the trap time in between. Yeah, I'm yeah. talking about the trap yeah. time in between, and I, I just think there's a number of different permutations of that. Oh, that, that will happen, that, absolutely, they'll try and do that. They'll try and claw back, Absolutely. You know, stuff where you've obviously, like, yeah. you know, you get home ready to do an online parents' evening, you can't even bloody take your shirt and tie off, you know, it's not exactly your time, yeah. you're, you're probably... <laughs> I change my pyjama trousers, I change into my pyjama trousers but leave my shirt and tie on. Yay! Pro, pro move, pro this. move, but risky. How subversive. <laughs> That's Nick. You should have made half time then. Oh yeah, I'm fully fully uncomfortable though. So yeah, I don't mind. It's interesting though because as much as we, you know, 
that whole virtual parents evening, I know I'm going on a bit of a side note here, but it is something to acknowledge. Actually, I'm... I, at first, I thought I'd hate it, and I was dead against it, because, you know, I'm a Luddite, and I just thought, you know... Nah. Um, but actually, I, I can see the benefit of it, but mainly for the parents. I think for them, like, just being able to come home from work... Oh, and for just all parents, and teachers oh, who are parents. Oh, it's so well. much... Like, to be fair, that is one of the few things that I never... You know, if you told me a year and a half ago that would be the reality, I'd have been like, well, that's some shit. And now I'm like, no, actually, I, it works. It's much more equitable. I, don't get, I, I used to get a buzz off parents even though it was like a really long time yeah, I love day. It. Yeah. And then just having the privilege of kind of being in, you know, kind of just like interacting with yeah. sort of 30 or 40 families, I thought just just reminded me of the sort of, the, one of the rare moments where you're actually reminded of the privilege of being a, yeah. being a teacher. But doing it, doing it online just seems to kind of parcel it off and it, mm. I know it's not commodifying it but like do you know what I mean like kind of turn just makes it less about human interaction and more about yes. accessing a kind of service in a sort of way but, yeah um, yeah I, I, yeah I, I totally see that next one um yeah what is the next one? Oh, next one's me uh, <laughs> about political education I mean I won't, won't go on for ages but I just thought it was just worth talking about the interview with Jeremy Gilbert friend of the show now he can't escape that that's Woo! That's going to go on his gravestone one day. <laughs> I might have to go and scrape it in, but fine. Uh, the uh, <laughs> um, And just thinking about political education, and I, I don't think there's like, I don't think there's many people that say this, but I, I, I imagine there are people like this who kind of say that you shouldn't waste your time reading books about politics. Um, and, you know, all this kind of theory and theory and stuff like that is, is so impractical and doesn't really doesn't really work and doesn't really go anywhere like we're you know in, in Bristol we're quite lucky and we're sort of engaged in a sort of wider load of political education with Bristol Transformed and the stuff we've been doing as, as yeah. a union um, but I don't know I guess again, again it's that like, anti-intellectual thing in British society that kind of people I've never read a book I'm proud to have never read a book kind of thing but even <laughs> on top of that there's people who are like you know doing stuff with your life is more important than, than reading about it and can't you do both? People, people just, <laughs> it's not possible. Yeah, it's like people just not just not interacting with the news as well is a thing, and I do and I do understand it, but but again, it's sort of like a kind of weird willful ignorance that I've just never been able to understand. And you know, it's not it's not just staff that aren't educated enough. It's not just the SLT. Union members don't really understand mm. most stuff. Members of the public don't understand most stuff. The kids are putting them to shame most of the time. Um, I just wonder, I'd maybe just pose it as a question. What's the most, like, weird and abstract bit of political education you've ever accessed yourself that you've actually managed to put into a practical use, either in school or in your union work? So my example here is, I, you know, over lockdown, I managed to read Capital, and I managed to tell myself that I could do it because there were minors. <laughs> there were minors mm. and there were people with absolutely terrible educations who still went to working men's clubs and they educated themselves and they learned how to access this thing because it is difficult but it is rewarding. And like the big thing, oh this is like the David Harvey. I watched the, the lectures as well, so it's that's it's not cheating. That's just <laughs> it was like the closest to being at uni I've been in for a while. Um but you know for Marx like one of the big tensions in work is the length of the working day. You know, mm. and that you can read this book from over a few hundred years ago and it's talking about capital and capitalism it's not in some ways it's actually not doesn't really apply to schools because we're sort of funded differently and our us as workers is, is slightly different in lots of ways but actually just reading that's like the big tension is how much of your life do you spend Working. doing doing stuff yeah. for someone else 
and how much do you not? And just having that perspective from reading that book is really interesting. And I can go, it's not like I go back into the union meet the union meetings of my staff and go, hey comrades, plonk capital down on the table. Look, you guys need to read this. <laughs> but it's just like it's just in the back of my brain that people have thought about these things before, and we can learn. We can learn from those things. I mean, the second one is like when we were doing a remote learning, I was reading like Lenin, what is what is to be done. And again, like years ago, I would have said, oh, that's just kind of pointless, um, frivolous, kind of uh, pretentious thing to do. But reading it and he, the way he's talking about like there is a trade unionism that will never result in revolutionary activity is quite interesting. Like, yeah, there are loads of hardworking trade unionists who would never go the extra mile to actually have complete social transformation. Mm. And that is interesting and worth thinking about when you're trying to change when you're trying to change your union internally when you're trying to change the Labour Party or any organisation internally that people can they can be do the, be doing the right things but do they have that extra step like are they a revolutionary I'm not saying going around saying five things whatever but like are they prepared to admit that the whole thing needs complete change or do they think that it's worth just tweaking t- tinkering around the edges and trying yeah. to protect the kind of few things that we have that keep getting whittled away so I don't know if anyone else has got an example of um, something two that stick out in my mind I've t- like one thing I've done a lot of is reading which and I'm and I am always an advocate for it and I always will be because actually I think you know I'm from a science background whereas I yeah I think you know the rest of you guys are well no not you Charlie but um uh, are quite, you know from a much more sort of humanities based background so one of the things that I've been really uh, making the efforts to do in the last few years of my life is educate myself through reading about, you know, geopolitics, politics, history, you know, and then these things. But two that, in terms of that, have brought the most to my practice in the classroom. Number one is Why Men Hate Women by Laura Bates. I read it not necessarily expecting what I got, um, but it's incredible that she really does a deep dive into the manosphere. So, men's rights activists. Um, incels and the sort of the plethora and and the variety of them and and she explores how they have infiltrated genteel society if you want in inverted commas but also um children and online platforms that target the vulnerable and and if you know you you know we can it's it it kind of runs in tandem with any extremism and any way that we bring children into an extremist ideology. And I didn't quite realise a number of, A, things that have happened to me because of pick-up art, like pick-up artist lines and things that they've tried that I read and I was like, oh shit, yeah, that's been done to... Oh, okay, I see what that that guy was trying to do to me in that club that time. Um, But then also the, the way that they influence children and how young lonely boys are getting infiltrated and brought in and it's very cynical they know exactly what they're doing they have strategies for doing this and I didn't even realize the extent of this like in my head up until the point I read this book like you know it was a a sort of a small scale problem it wasn't the massive and it is it is is a really big big quite widespread infiltrating a lot of society issue that we need to address and it has just gone unnoticed or not unnoted sorry unnoted I think is is the right word um and as an educator there are certain alarm bells and since reading that book there are a couple of phrases that I've heard certain boys say that I now can recognize and attribute to the manosphere and go okay I actually know now where you've got that from that's really interesting you've made that exact argument that I've literally read in this book the other day so I personally would urge anyone to read it because I think it's so important, especially if you're anyway involved in pastoral or safeguarding or CPOMs, whatever. Like, it is too important not to read. So that would be my number one. 
my number two is Natives by Carla, um, which I finally got around to reading at the start of this year. Um, and just, I, I mean, I, I haven't got time to, to talk about how amazing this book is and what an impact it had on me and, and what I learned from it and what it made me want to continue to learn. But certainly, you know, the idea that like I didn't realise that there were these uh, you know and I grew up in a very similar part of London to where Akala grew up and, and probably had in many ways quite a similar upbringing to him um, so I didn't realise that there was these whole schools that like he went to a, a Saturday school like a, a Saturday and Sunday school um, that was very much promoted by the Afro-Caribbean community and that was where he'd got actually probably in some ways a better education than he actually received at his mainstream school Um and to understand that that was a whole culture and a whole amazing thing that had emerged, that I, as a white kid who grew up at the same time in pretty much the same place, had no idea it even happened, it was quite, um, yeah, quite humbling and, and quite interesting to me. And, and obviously, I, I can't go on, but in terms of my practice, just the things that he says about how boys, or, or not just how boys, but he's speaking for himself, like, I wasn't necessarily fully aware of my blackness until I got old enough to be racialized properly as black and how as soon as I came from being a little cute boy to then a teenager, now I'm a threat. And all of a sudden, even though my head wasn't feeling that way, but my adolescent body was starting to look more like a man's body, how because of that, that what happened, I was now racialized as black and all of these, you know, expectations came upon me. And uh, and, and I just thought it was a really interesting uh, study and, and something that I would recommend all educators read. And I'm sure we've given it a shout out before, but if you just go to YouTube and type in Akala Oxford Student Union Debate, oh, yeah. it honestly, it's, it's one of the best hours you'll see because yeah. it is just really accessible and a, a great way into, well, decolonial yeah. history. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, Charlie? Um, I find it hard to think of a book that I've really like put into my school practice, although I'm sure I'll think of one in probably about an hour. Um, that would fit perfectly with this. So I'm going to go with the one I'm reading at the moment, um, which is Women, Race and Class by Angela Davis. And I say that one because I think it's been, I don't know, making me think a little bit about just how, I don't know, just how things are now, think how things were then and, and what we can learn and what we can apply from... Um, the amazing collection of you know historical information that she provides and her analysis of it. Um, so the bit I'm on at the moment is about um, the tension between sort of uh, activists or you know um, people who are fighting for suffrage. I should say they wouldn't really call themselves activists. I don't think at the time, um, but the tension between uh, women's suffrage. Um, and black suffrage, mostly in America, but I think that it does have, um, I think there is, there were similar things at the time um, in the UK, and just how that kind of idea that um, they were basically splintered in many ways by racists who sort of told them, oh, we'll give you um, women's suffrage if you just sort of, anyone who says about black suffrage, you just tell them to, you know, to fuck off and uh, to some degree vice versa and, and then the uh, the black women in the middle who were saying 
what the fuck guys you know we we need to we need to be united and we need to fight for both and the women who to some degree like the white women who would go yeah 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 to one degree maybe privately but then to publicly do fuck all and how that you know that tension does still exist mm. um you know it's not suffrage anymore but it's there's plenty of things where we end up being divided we end up um in one way or another and you know it's so complicated you know um, I'm not going to be able to go into it in so many ways, but I apply it to all sorts of things. Even with our union, we have tensions within our union. They're not the same temper- tensions, but they're similar. And I almost think uh, sometimes to myself, why are these tensions there? Uh, are we really two groups or multiple groups against each other? Um, is that a natural thing or is that something that actually the force of that tension comes from um, someone or some group that is completely opposed to all of us? Um, getting you know better conditions at work and feeling like generally we're being oppressed less um, for whatever you know oppressed group or groups that we're in and yeah it's not giving me complete answers yet but it does make me think about yeah it's it's always more complicated than necessary sometimes it's presented to you and it makes me um yeah I guess want to discuss it more with you guys and and generally people um beyond I need to read that mm, can I borrow it I've got it. It's an audio book. I do also okay. listen to audio books lots because they allow me to do the cleaning and, you know, <laughs> go from one place to another while reading and learning because I'm a slow reader and, and I just hope to have the time to both read and deal with the emotional trauma of realising how slow I am as a reader. So... <laughs> I mean, I, I, Charlie, I'm actually much the same. Like, whether it's because I need to do the washing up or being a history teacher has turned my brain to pudding... <laughs> But um, I I get a lot from listening to other organisers and it's not the celebrity ones. It's not people who've made a name out of, you know, being a trade unionist. It's often hearing like personal experiences and anecdotes of like, oh, how did I how did I actually solve this particular problem of a really good union member who was doing fantastic work for us? Uh, but he was cracking on to every female union member he could spot, right? Mm. You know, and, and, and that was a genuine problem that an ordinary union rep had to to solve. And, um, I mean, it's in one of the early episodes of uh, Chapo Trap House, who I know, you know, people, people have polarised opinions on that show, but, you know, there are certain episodes that are absolutely relevant to people who are trying to change the world from the ground up um, and it was really interesting because um, you know that, that that particular union rep had a number of strategies available to him you know he could have gone down the old council council culture route there could have been more formal disciplinaries um, but instead the, the problem was addressed through education and through an actual like pl- placing that behavior in the context of what is going to help change the needle here what is it going to help push the needle and actually make conditions better for you know for women at work but also for men and like um it wasn't about bypassing the problematic behavior it involved very much confronting it in a public manner but not in a persecutorial not in a carceratorial you know carceral kind of sense and just through through little anecdotes like that I am learning. It's, it's like it's like the sort of uh, rarer conversations you might get down the pub where you suddenly, someone you've never met before, you find out you have something in common, you share a problem and they offer you a unique perspective on it. Mm-hmm. For me, that's powerful political education. But out of, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to highlight a book that I've read recently that's offered <laughs> me a new insight. But I'm just talking about 
where I see the future of our activities going. What has the pandemic done to us? It's made us feel very alone. It's made us feel very isolated. It's made me question things about myself, my commitment, my skills, my, my, my capacity to help. And I think any any good political education has got to explicitly address that. It's got to bring people together. It's got to give them a voice. It's got to validate that voice, even if people are wrong, even if people are, even if people say something that is howlingly painfully wrong. How can that be constructively dealt with? And yeah. it, it's the same as in the classroom. If you're really going to teach someone something, you got to make them do it. And so, you know, a little idea that was, 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 was starting to take shape prior to the pandemic was the Bristol Union School. And it was really well yeah, done because it was about organising your workplace. It was about things like power mapping. All right, then, guys, we're going to do it right here, right now. This isn't some abstract idea that I all want you to go home and do as homework. We're actually going to see how this would work with an admittedly fictional workplace. But where are the issues going to be? And so I hope that political education going forwards addresses the emotional deficits left by this awful thing that we've been through called the pandemic and it practices what we preach in the classroom which is teaching with doing in a very practical and concrete way there's a place for theory underpinning all of this but i'm the first to admit i haven't read it all Uh, so more book clubs but also more fight clubs yeah absolutely (laughs) well that's the thing i do feel like most of what i do i mean i read a lot but also I don't feel like in this group, in our group, I don't feel like I'm the most educated in terms of a lot of the things that we talk about. Like, I do feel like sometimes I'm sort of, you know, a sixth former is just, you know, starting to... But but there is, you know... I know what you mean. Somebody should do it, don't you? Like, you just got to sometimes be in that classroom and sometimes slip it in you know i can make that thinly veiled donald trump is thick comment by framing it as a right so when you write this six mark question you're basically explaining what you what's going on and why so imagine that you're trying to explain this to donald trump he's thick he knows nothing doesn't even know the words right off you go like i know it sounds weird but even sometimes there's little things which you you can slip in incidentally that then kind of you know I suppose I mean maybe I'm, that's manipulation and I'm, I'm absolutely wrong and 100% and I cancelled yeah I'm, I'm you know apologise to, to Donald and Meliana for you know whatever but oh god I can't believe I said that sentence I'll take you all back um, <laughs> never apologise to them um, or to her yeah maybe even not to him um, but yeah I, I do think that there is I know what you're saying like it's not just theory it's practice but then also I do feel like and my the nuance the sensitivity and just the information like because in the day like when it comes to science I've, I, you know i like to again read quite a lot of scientific journals and quite a lot of um you know publications about what's going on and i do feel like then because ideas change and and also we know more about certain things because certain things that are uncovered and i think it could be quite easy sometimes if we don't try and keep educating ourselves fundamentally isn't it it's about educating yourself onwards just don't think that just because I've left uni, just because I'm now a teacher that I know everything there is to know, and just because I read this one book or this two books, that I'm 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 sorted, I'm educated, I've got nothing left to learn. Um, and I would say actually, as as Lee's mentioned previously, one of the biggest 
ways you can combat that is by talking to people and not always engaging with people that just hold the same beliefs you do or just like quite often you have to you have to kind of listen to the reasons that people feel the way they do because that's very illuminating and without that I don't think you can yeah. I mean this I think it's worth pointing out though that while I'm thinking about you know how people are getting themselves educated you know we're fundamentally we're speaking to a self-selecting group who've already mm. decided to listen to this yeah. p- podcast and also probably got into like whatever it might be 40, 45 minutes in so you know it's already one group and they probably have their own ways um, but I would say if they don't aren't the sort of person who would read a book necessarily listen to a book if you want you know podcasts are already great so you're already doing a pretty reasonable job so congratulations um but yeah don't feel ashamed of what you already do but you know feel feel you know entirely um within your right to expand and to keep talking to people about it because i think the talking bit is probably the one of the most important bits there is anyway you can read a book and then never speak to anyone about it and you probably forget it or speak to someone about it um, you're going to learn it better. Dialogical talk being mm-hmm. one of the references there. <laughs> but um, then, yeah, I I don't know where I'm going with that. I just, I just realised that um, <laughs> I basically did what SLT do in September, which is they come in and they do a terrible presentation where they go, hey guys, hope you had a great summer. I read this book. And you know what? This book taught me about this and this. And this is why... We're going to make you teach an extra hour every fortnight. <laughs> it's like that kind of thing. I read this completely stupid book over the summer and this taught yeah, me... literally capital. Yeah. I, I read Teach Like a Champion. Yeah, and, no, it's that, isn't um, it? So I read this yeah. I took this one thing that completely out of context, but I'm going to use it to prove yeah. the stuff I sell, say to you is correct. So, ha. Um, yeah. anyway. Well, thanks for that, Nick. Yeah, cheers. So, look, um, you know, the, we're, we're recording this in half term... I'm not a well man. <laughs> um, doing the work of uh, two exam boards on top of my day job has, well, it's been um, a, a fitting coda, a fitting denouement. You can't say so, a fucking slog. I'm just done with it. No, I'm just trying to say in a year where I nearly died on the job for COVID, mm. I think this, this is taking me back to that sort of existential, is this what my life has become now? Denuded of everything that allowed me to cope before. How far has it pushed me? They're trying and, uh, to finish you off. That's what they're trying to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and look, I've, I, I, that's how they get you, man. I put myself through it because I wanted to do my best for the kids. I knew that without my actual input in terms of selecting the exams, giving them help uh, within the legal limits towards the fulfilment. I mean, let's call them what they are, assessments. They're not exams, you know, they weren't... They can't be. You know, they can yeah. be. Um, but to, to, to then go through the marking uh, of three GCSE exams, which are then done in collaboration with my excellent colleagues, whom without I definitely, definitely would have cracked up. Um, but uh, an unfortunate... Uh, symptom of uh, the setup in my particular school is that I I was the only A-level history teacher so I then had another three exams and the coursework on top of that and um, it's now in the rearview mirror I know I've done the best job I could for those kids but let's just say that the damage to my general physical and mental health is ongoing 
and I, th- I think it's going to take me a while to process. But I was very intrigued to hear um, what Charlie uh, heard about some primary schools doing. Yeah, so in addition to the fact that in secondaries, uh, teachers obviously do all the work for, yeah, other people that they already paid to do the job of marketing, yeah. um, which is wild, um, to a lesser degree, um, but to more detrimental to the children, I think, um, the SATs that were cancelled in some some schools um, are being reinstated as mock SATs that uh, the children had to conduct over like a week, week and a bit. And so they got like the nice bits afterwards. So like, year six have been basically six doing SATs even though they don't need to do SATs. At some schools, yes. Just okay. for fun. That's what they learn. how they do it because it's not like they're emotionally traumatising. No. It's not like... It's not like the, I don't know, I mean, they're a rubbish way of telling who's doing well and who's doing not. Um, They, yeah, they're badly weighted, they're badly formatted. Um, They're not how I would assess children if if I was given the opportunity to be free of SATs, how I would find out just if they're doing all right, if they're going to go happily into secondary school or not and we're talking about the school that I was looking at they actually they are probably most of them going to go happily into secondary school whether they have that SATs um week or not uh it's just so that the head teachers have that kind of I don't know all the marks laid out in front of them even though it wouldn't be wasted against any other um schools so it would be fundamentally limited I guess they could place it against the years below um or above that had done the that that particular test I don't know what they were thinking I didn't really inquire too much but I just think it's wild I just why why not use that week to do a fun project why not use the weeks preceding that they were getting ready not just learning because getting ready for SATs isn't just like abstract learning of any variety it's specific learning designed to pass the test like some of the questions are so bad um that you really have to designate a week of your time teaching children things or more than a week um teach children things that actually are not suitable for their age group um not particularly um interesting and probably actually won't relate to anything that happens in secondary school or at least not for a fair while like it's weird like things come up really early and then i think they they don't happen quick enough when they go to secondary school so it's just useless in so, many ways so there is this drive to, and that, that question why has come up loads in school at the moment because mm. we've had this mm. thing where we, we we were told originally we didn't have to do a cct i can't remember what that can you remember what that is Leo? if you put that into your um into the memory hole in your brain maybe that's just jargon for my school basically it's like another in 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 class assessment on top of their mock exam so it's like the kids did a mock exam which should count for most of their grade but then our data slt bloke came back and said oh we've got to do some extra stuff in the in the in the month so we've ended up basically having to just like run a very short notice a thing that we could actually in our department we, we all did it in the way that you know the quickest possible way the fairest for the kids but also fairest from the teachers simplest possible way of doing this extra but it's effectively like junk data and it made the whole process of like ranking all the kids in order like way harder and like mm. has really thrown it off and it's like sort of really confusing and complicated and stupid and I don't know I mean it's been nice I mean we've had our kind of year 11 leavers assembly and stuff and you know we were signing yeah. 
signing shirts and things and it was quite nice because like the first time in school something's felt normal, normal. I was really yeah. pleased that they got like a rite of passage and yeah. you know they're handing you a sharpie and you're signing yeah. their shirt and then you're thinking there's oh, all God. dicks everywhere yeah, yeah it's like drawn you... on the shirts yeah. by the way would you like <laughs> <laughs> would you like <laughs> me to sign <laughs> next to this penis or this swastika uh, which oh, one <laughs> yeah so I mean it was kind of nice and then also thinking oh God this is a super spreader event but you know that was just pleased that that, that, that happened but the grades are going to be murder again this year. Looking forward to that. Like, as regular as Oh, the, great. As yeah, the, autumn the old leaves turn brown. Yeah. But, Normal distribution. Let's go. But yeah, I mean, I just really hope that Based hopefully the kids have what? had enough time to realise that these. It, it doesn't matter that much. But again, in our school, again, this drive for data, data, data. Um, we haven't been told any detail about this, but on the, on the calendar now, there's a, there's a school assessment week. So we don't know what's going to happen, but there's a potential that in a few weeks' time, every kid in the school oh, is going to sit Oh, they will be doing tests. Absolutely, they will be. <laughs> so there, um, after, after the worst term ever. Can I be honest? If I were you, I'd prepare for that, because I think that's exactly what's yeah, going to happen. Yeah, I'm trying to push back on And that. I know full well that that's almost certainly going to happen at, at my place. And, and the only reason you know that people can justify on the executive their 150, 200 grand plus salaries is to try and align things within the trust, which means basically get some people to make some shit fucking assessments. Mm. Um, and that's them justifying their salary. So absolutely it's going to happen. Yeah. I would steal yourself for that. I mean, no, yeah, I'm just not going to do it properly. Well, yeah, there is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I want to echo what, what Nick was saying about, you know, that there has been some return of that good feeling. Like the Leavers mm. Assemblies were good and they were worth it. Uh, but I, I, the overriding sensation of the last term is that they have made me into an arbiter of state violence. You know, I've had two failed students and usually I could like uh, compartmentalise that in my head. Yeah. It wasn't me failing these students. Mm. It was the mean exam boards. But they basically, uh, and, and I'll tell you where I've seen it most is that in the way that there are primary schools choosing to do SATs, there are teachers choosing to do more exams than they are required to do. Longer exams, tougher exams. And uh, I was, when I mentioned this to Isaac, he was like, this is the policeman in their heads. You know, it's, that, it's, that, it's, it's, it's an episode title from Century of the Self. You know, there is a policeman in all our heads and he must be destroyed. You know? <laughs> But clearly, yep. some teachers, some teachers don't even need Ofsted. They don't even need the DFE. They, 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 they've osmotically internalised <laughs> the mission brief, which is where, uh, well, there, there are all children must suffer, especially there, the poor ones. There are a percentage of children for whom there is no use. Yeah, that. Do you know what? They could though, join that the is, police. Couldn't they? That would be. No, no, the army. No, do you re- no the can. Sorry, the cannon fodder. Let's not forget. That's where they're going to go, yeah. please. Oh God, I'm depressed. And so, I'm sorry, Lee. <laughs> why did you say this to me? <laughs> I, I will try and lighten the fuck up. Maybe, maybe half term will help me out in this regard, guys. I think I, we will do our best, breathing. everyone. I mean, we'll do the, our best for Lee this afternoon. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it is half term. I think, it, sort of, in general, people are kind of feeling brighter. And actually, I don't think this would have. We wouldn't have been able to get through the last few months with all this marking if there wasn't some kind of little dangling carrot in the future of the fact that we can yeah. actually start to hang out and things I and mean, we're potentially yeah. doing our first like in-person union event um in the next couple of days yep. um which would be really nice um 
so yeah, I mean, it's it's been a fairly dour and sober podcast at the moment, but I mean, I sort of you know I've got some camping trips lined up, so as long as there's not a third wave, like you know, so oh, I'll God. just turn up. We'll get to the end of term, have have some fun over summer, and then turn up in September and do a half ass job like normal. Hey, back to business as usual. Back to business, people. Um, I will say this though, it's so nice actually being in the same room with all of you because. I've missed that a lot, and I know full well that even like not even, but over Zoom, like this, doing this podcast has been one of my absolute saving graces. This entire you know last sixteen months, it's just been something that has kept me going. And yeah, so thanks, thanks everyone. And you know, I'm not gonna lie, everyone, I've got a beer in my hand currently. I'm about to sip said beer. And cheers, my friends <laughs> around me, my fellow requires improvement crew, to just say a big thank you. And it's nice to be in the same room as you. And long may it rain until the next pandemic, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, just, nice. And then I don't know, tell them to yeah, like us on Spotify and all the podcasts. Like us on Spotify. Comment, comment, send us a comment, message if you like it. Tell us. I've got you know, any ideas what we should cover. If you, if you hate it, just. Stay the fuck shut. You know, shut the fuck up. And but the, if you like it, let us know. Uh, yeah, if you're wondering where Tom went, it's because I was forty minutes late for the start of this recording, so I absolutely bumped him out of the end of this proceeding, for which I shall have enduring regret. But if you've enjoyed this episode, <laughs> if you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Requires Improvement, please give us a like and a subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Requires Pod. Why not drop us a message, even if it's a boatload of hate tell us <laughs> tell us how we're going wrong and how importantly how more importantly we can do better and if you've got a good idea for a show or you want to come on our show hey we're open to suggestions uh we hope you have a great half term and we'll be back with another episode soon uh catch you guys in a bit bye, bye. bye.